Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. It's good to be back. I was in Peru two weeks ago, and right before I left, I told Pastor Brandon, I said, I think you're going to have to preach for me the week I get back, because I think I'm going to be sick. And I was right. I was prophetically prophesying that over my life. So uh, those, are the, those are the prophecies I'm really good at. If it's good things, I don't, I don't get those right. But those I get. <laughs> it's like when I ask God for stuff, the only prayer I know he will answer for certain is when I ask him for humility. It's like anything else. It's like, no, but God, make me humble. Here you go. Here's all the humility, humbling experiences. So question for you, have you ever been in a situation or you've um, maybe been in a circumstance where sorry is just not gonna cut it? For whatever reason, you're in a situation and just saying sorry just doesn't seem to, to cut ice. Well, this happened to just, uh, just yesterday. We were at a, my wife was doing a garage sale, Hannah's doing a garage sale, we're selling stuff at our house. And um, occasionally I would man the garage sale, in which case everything was free. Uh, so if you came during that time, <laughs> you knew. Uh, but uh, we were selling, and we sold a, a piece of luggage to somebody, and four hours later, this adolescent kid, the kid, the family that bought it, comes coming back up our driveway uh, because we had left some stuff in the luggage, like namely underwear. And I'm not going to tell you whose underwear it was, because that's just inappropriate, but... It was like finding 20 bucks in a jacket only. It was somebody else's underwear. Like that is, <laughs> so, uh, so we were sorry. He was sorry. We were all sorry. And it just didn't, it didn't cut ice. It didn't make it. Uh, it didn't make the situation any better. <laughs> we didn't make eye contact with each other the whole time. It was just one of those. So if we, you bought something from us yesterday and there's stuff in it, just keep it, please. Don't bring it back. Save us all the awkwardness of that. Just keep it whatever you found. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, we're talking about sorry today. We're talking about apologizing. We're going to talk about remorse for sin or things that we make mistakes or do when we do bad stuff. And the really difficult part about teaching on this uh, and talking about this is, uh, in many ways, all of us know somebody or have been somebody where an authority figure... Uh, a, a religious institution has abused the concept of, of sin or what we're going to talk about today, which is repentance. It's an antiquated word. We don't use it a lot today, but it's a theological term for turning away from sin and having remorse from sin. And this is an area where we've all, and maybe we know somebody or we've been victims of, of a power uh, differential where people in authority or people in, in some sort of, especially religious institution, try to manipulate or um, create guilt or shame or, or a conviction of remorse of sin for their self-serving reasons, uh, maybe to control people. Uh, we've, all, we've all known that that happens and some of us have been victims of that. And so, so for maybe that reason among many, our society, our culture today is allergic to it. Like, there's this sense of which if anybody tells you you're doing something wrong, if anybody tries to make you feel regret 
or remorse for something you're doing, you should run from that place. Don't be a part of any community or any group of people that's toxically trying to make you feel bad for anything you do, any of your behaviors. And so by proxy, all of us are just allergic to that. We, we, no one can tell us we have self-destructive or bad behavior. No one can tell us because we won't hear it. We're just so sensitive. We have maybe PTSD from being in that kind of manipulative environment. This is a hard topic. And yet, I, I believe this. I believe that few attributes of faith or, or spirituality are more significant in helping us move forward, see progress, see, see growth in our lives, have an intimate walk with Jesus than the topic of repentance. I mean, this, this topic of dealing and grieving, lamenting your sin has the, has the opportunity and the power to do so much. It could very well be the secret sauce to a walk with God. So, so many places in scripture, repentance is talked about in the, in the setting and the moment where God is very active and present in a person's life. So I just did a cursory review theologically throughout the scriptures of all the couple, just a couple things that repentance seems to bring about whenever that's happening in the life of a person. These are just four of them. I just pulled these out. A rich relationship with God is restored and, and experienced. Uh, uh, healing and inner peace, if, if you want to call it self-acceptance, like a wholeness and a, and, a, and a healing and this inner peace is a part of it. Um, relational reconciliation with other people. With relationships get healed when there's repentance. Uh, and even spiritual authority is, is dispensed in a person's life when they're willing to be repentant and deal with things. They can have a, a position of healthy influence in helping people see progress in their lives. It's incredible. This thing repentance is, is like, it's, it's a secret sauce to perhaps an intimate, alive real, active walk with God. So it's no wonder why Satan or whatever life tries to keep it maybe far from you because it's, it's at the source of so much healing. True repentance really is the one-way road to restoration. It, it really is a one-way street to restoration. You can't skip it. Can't go around repentance. Like, I'm gonna, I want restoration in my walk with God and others, but hold the repentance. Like, I'm not gonna go through that road. There's a one-way street. That's the only way in. And we're gonna see it today, looking over the shoulder of Jesus as he does this delicate and gentle surgery in the life of one of his followers. His name is Peter. Uh, some of you might know Peter's one of Jesus' disciples who uh, followed Jesus around. He wasn't just one of the 12. He was one of the three, like one of the ones that Jesus spent a lot of time with. And, and Peter was a bit bombastic, had a really, uh, he was always taking initiative. He always wanted to kind of lead stuff. But he's being restored from a really particular and egregious sin in his life. And we pick up right where Pastor Brandon left off last week. We're at this breakfast where Jesus is, uh, he's risen from the dead. This is post-Easter. He's alive. He's appeared to his disciples on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he's having breakfast with them. And he addresses Peter's sin publicly in front of the group. Now, before we look over the shoulder and watch Jesus do the surgery, uh, we got to know what did Peter mess up? What was the sin? Well, the night that Jesus was arrested and he was going to be uh, um, uh, arraigned for his crimes, his religious blasphemy and claiming to be God and all those things, 
the night before, the night of that, uh, Jesus is overhears the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. In their minds, Jesus was going to be this king. He was going to be this uh, uh, actual in- government leader. He's going to th- overthrow the Roman Empire, restore Israel to its rightful place in the Middle East, give them their autonomy they want in the, in the Middle East, make them the, the world superpower again. And Jesus was going to do it. And so they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in this new kingdom, in this new government, what, what chair they're going to have, what the lieutenant structure is going to be. And Jesus overhears this and he says, you all are going to deny me. You, you, all of you are going to walk away. None of you are going to stick with this thing. When things get bad, you're all going to run away. And Peter is the one recorded as having spoken up and said something about that. And this is what Peter says. He says, even though they all fall away, even though these, these guys fall away, I will not. It's a particular nefarious manifestation of comparison. You see, comparison is this really bad thing that happens in our hearts. When you're going through Instagram and you're trolling through your feed and you see somebody taking a really great vacation or having a nice car, you can't simply say, oh, good for them. Oh, that's a wonderful new car. It's, oh, that's a wonderful new car, but I don't have one. Or, oh, that's a really great trip they're on, but I'm not on that trip. You have to add that second part of comparison. This is, what, this is what's surfacing in the text. It's not just that, like, um, all of us are going to fall away. It's, these guys are going to fall away, but I won't. I, he, Peter's trying to compare. He's, making a, he's distinguishing himself from the others. These clowns are going to fall away. I won't. But Jesus rebukes him, and he says no. A verse later, he says no. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. You're going you're gonna to fall too, Peter. And sure enough, he does. And the, the third time, he says, Jesus told him three times. The third time this happens, it's, it's exceptionally vulgar. I mean, it, 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 even in the English, bringing this in, it probably doesn't really do it justice. This is written down in Greek, and when you pull this Greek word into the English, it, it may not capture it, but this is how Mark describes Peter, his third denial that he knows Jesus. And it goes like this. Um, but again, he denied it. A little while, bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. So he's cussing at this point. He's not just denying Jesus. He's saying, he's saying let me be cursed. And you insert whatever curse word you want. I mean, that's bad, right? Let me be cursed if I even know that guy. I mean, doing something once might be a fit of passion a mistake. Doing something twice might be coincidental. You do it three times, put that exclamation point on it, that's who you are. This is who Peter is. You're looking right at it. You do something three times, it's who you are. We know who you are at that point. It's exceptionally vulgar. Peter doubles down on it. I don't know that guy. Let me be cursed if I know him. That all happened in John's account around a fire in the courtyard of the temple. Those three denials around there, he's warming himself by a fire. Peter finds himself again at a fire, breakfast on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is there. And this is where Jesus is going to address it. And I'd encourage you, get whatever it is in your mind's eye, in your heart. You, you've got some, some pinch, some conviction about, something that you've done that you know is wrong, something. And would you maybe, over the shoulder of Jesus this morning, would you let him do some surgery? Would you let him get in there, get to the root of it, get that tumor out? Um, this is what he's going to do with Peter. Let's look over his shoulder and watch, and maybe, maybe the same healing surgery will happen in our own hearts this morning.
So this is where we pick up the story. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Do you notice he calls him Simon, son of John? Peter's kind of the name that he had with everybody else and kind of the nickname, if you will. But Jesus is going, I know who you are. You might have denied knowing me, but I know exactly who you are. I know who your dad is. You're Simon, son of John. I know everything about you. I know your family. What do you mean you don't know me? He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Again, the, 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 the Greek word there, it's so intense. He is filleted from the inside out. He is reeling over this. This is, this is deep and utter uh, grief and remorse here. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? That's why he's grieving. And he said to the Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to prophesy how, how Peter will die, which is on a cross. He says, truly I say to you, when you were young and you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you to where you don't want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after he said this to him, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So, question, why is Jesus rubbing Peter's nose in it? Is he, is he being vindictive? Is he, is he petty? Is Jesus exacting revenge on on Peter and wanting to feel the, the pain and the grief of being betrayed? Is that what's going on here? Is this, is this Jesus just being petty about it? Rubbing his nose in it, browbeating Peter? Is that, is, that, is that what the heart of Jesus, is that what he's doing? Or is he trying to do something in the life of Peter to help him see progress and healing? Well, he's trying to help Peter through this journey of repentance. So let's look at, there's three things. There's three things we see right here in the text. The first is this, Jesus' question. Do you notice what he asks? He asks, do you love me? Three times. He's addressing the three denials of Peter, but he's asking him three questions, the same question, because it's the same problem at the root of those three denials. It's, do you love me? Jesus is getting to the source of the behavior. True repentance deals with what's below the behavior. The behavior is like just a running nose. Jesus doesn't want to hand you a Kleenex. He wants to deal with the cold. He wants to deal with the flu or the sickness, whatever you have. He's a good doctor. He's not, you're not going to go to the doctor. He's not going to give you a Kleenex. He's going to deal with the root problem, and that's what Jesus is doing here. If he was dealing with the behavior, he would have asked, Peter, why'd you lie to me? Why are you lying to me? Peter, can I trust you? Are you going to tell me the truth? I mean, that's what happened? Peter lied, and if Jesus was really concerned about the behavior, that's the question he would have asked Peter, but he didn't ask it. He said, do you love me? And he was very specific. Do you love me, ready for this, more than these? See that? That's what shows up in the text. Do you love me more than these? Why did Jesus say that? Well, that's exactly what Peter's words were. That's the, that's the objection Peter had to when Jesus said, y'all are going to fall away. Peter said, Mark 14, even though they all fall away, they all will fall, I won't. The reason and the motive that Peter denies Jesus 
it boots off the same hard drive. It's the same motive of why Peter insisted he would never deny Jesus. Why? Because Peter loves being in. He loves the audience. He loves being a part of the leadership. He loves these. He loves his, he loves his followers, his kingdom, these more than the king, more than Jesus. You see, when Jesus was gonna be the next new president, he was gonna be the next world leader, what did Peter do? These will fall away, I won't. He's asserting himself in this kingdom. Why? Because he wants to be in the kingdom. He wants to be the leader. It's, for, it's about Peter, not Jesus. And then when Jesus is the one arrested, the one facing crucifixion, the, the, the loser in the fight, Peter's like, let me be cursed if I know him. Let me be cursed if I know that guy. It's the same thing. Peter loves the influence. He loves his kingdom. He loves these more than Jesus. Again, it happens one time. Maybe it's a fit of rage or passion. It happens three times. That's who you are. You're a coward. That's who Peter is. This is who Peter is. He's about Peter. Number two, second thing we see is Jesus is driving Peter. He is driving Peter to this place of deep emotional uh, distress and, and lament and grief and, and sadness. Why is Jesus doing that? Why is that the trajectory of this whole thing? Why is Jesus trying to drive the knife deeper and get to the place of, of, of real pain and grief? Why is he getting Peter to that place? Well, here's why. True repentance gets to the most healing source of grief. It gets to the most healing source of sorrow and grief. Let me put to you this way. You ever have people who like apologize for stuff over and over again and uh, they, they don't change and they feel bad. There's tears. They don't, they don't change though. There's no progress in their life. They feel bad. It just doesn't see progress. I do marriage counseling. I have people in my office and it's one spouse will come in. They'll say, I'm done. I'm done with this marriage. And the other spouse will come in groveling, sad, really sad. There's tears. They feel awful about it. And the person say, okay, fine, one more chance. I'll give you one more chance. So they, go, they leave, and then six months later, a year later, they're, they're back in my office. They're, they're back, and it's the same problem. The spouse, I'm done. And the same spouse comes back sad and grieving. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do it. They feel terrible. They really do. No change. See, the word repentance, the etymology of that word, it literally is like velocity. It's both speed and direction. It's both bad feelings remorse and a U-turn of direction. It is always a turning from sin. True repentance is a turning from sin. What Jesus is trying to do with Peter is get him to the proper source of grief. There's two kinds of grief. Paul puts it like this. Paul describes it like this. Second Corinthians chapter seven. There's godly sorrow, which leads to salvation, which brings repent, which brings, or leads to repentance, which brings salvation. And, and when it means salvation, it doesn't mean, you know, you become, you know, salvation is a one-time event that happens. But what Paul's saying here is it expands the tent pegs, the territory of salvation in your life. Every time there's proper repentance, there's a new uh, turf in your heart that is surrendered to God. That salvation is just working its way down, taking more territory. Your whole life is just discovering new places that God wants in, in leadership in your life. And repentance Godly sorrow brings repentance that expands the turf of salvation in your life. 
and it leaves no regrets. I mean, that is so important. There's no regrets in godly sorrow. Ungodly sorrow, death. It's worldly sorrow, ungodly sorrow, worldly sorrow, death. Here's what you need to hear. This is so important. I, I want you to listen to this. You, godly sorrow and ungodly sorrow, how do you know which one's which? It, it's not based on the feeling. They feel the same. How does, how does godly sorrow feel? Sad. How does ungodly sorrow, worldly sorrow feel? Sad. It feels the same. You don't sit there and go, is this godly sorrow or ungodly sorrow by going, how do I feel? They both feel bad. I have seen people in my office leave a puddle of tears on my desk, and it's all ungodly sorrow. They are grieving. They feel terrible. It's ungodly sorrow. I've had people leave the same amount of tears on my desk for godly sorrow. How do you know the difference? Well, there's a trajectory, right? One is leading to repentance, salvation, a U-turn, progress, healing, restoration, and one is leading toward death. But here's how you know. You have to ask yourself, where is this sorrow coming from? What is the source of this sorrow? That's how you know which is godly or ungodly. Let me put it to you this way. If you're sorry you got caught, if you're sorry you got fired, you're sorry they left you, your kids don't respect you anymore, you lost the business, reputation's destroyed, you can't lead anymore, you're in prison, you got fined, you're bankrupt. If you're sorry for the consequences of your sin, you know what the truth is? You're sorry for you. You're just sorry for you. That's self-pity. That's a self-serving, selfish kind of sorrow. That's an ungodly sorrow that leads to death. You're just sorry for what sin cost you, and then you haven't truly repented. If you're just sorry for what it cost you, the healing source of grief is when you realize what your sin, ready for this, cost your Savior. That's where you go to heal is when you have a healthy and biblical grasp of lament and grief and remorse for what your sin cost Jesus. Repenting is, do you love Jesus more than whatever it is? Do you love him more than whatever it is that you're grieving that you lost or you can't have or how inconvenient or uncomfortable your life is now? Do you love Jesus more than those things? Because if you, if you don't, you haven't truly dealt to the root of repentance. Repentance is seeing the grief you gave Jesus. Listen, this is exactly what Peter's going through. Jesus wants Peter to look into his eyes and see how expensive. Listen, if you don't think it hurt Jesus, if you don't think it was crushing to Jesus, if you don't think it broke his heart every time Peter denied, let me be cursed if I know that guy. If you don't think that hurt Jesus, then you don't understand both the full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus, and you don't think your sin cost him that much. You don't think it hurt Jesus. Every time Peter sinned, it was costly. And this is why you don't love Jesus that much, because your sin didn't cost Jesus that much. You don't think it was that expensive. And let me tell you something. If you don't think your sin was that expensive, then his grace that he gives you is cheap. 
displaying cheap grace has no power to change anybody. But if you see how expensive your sin was to Jesus, like what it did to him, what your sin does to the heart of Jesus, then his grace is expensive and powerful and can change you. Jesus puts it like this. He's talking to a woman who's repenting, grieving her sin in Luke chapter 7, and he says these words. He says, I tell you, her sins have been many, but as her great love is being shown, she's worshiping Jesus in this moment. She's got this perfume she's kind of washing his feet with. She's just really elaborate and dramatic, and she's just so grateful and in love with Jesus. And he says these words. He says, whoever's been forgiven a little bit only loves a little bit. If you're going, I don't love Jesus that much. And Jesus is asking, if he's asking me today, do you love me more than these? You know what the answer is? No, Jesus, I don't. I don't love you more than my sin. I don't love you more than running my own life and me being in charge and me getting to decide what's right and wrong. I don't love you more than that. I love that. I don't love you that much. You know why that is? Because something's blocking your view. Something's blocking your view of how much forgiveness he's given you, how costly that forgiveness was, and how much your sin cost Jesus. So you want to you see Jesus, you want to see, I want to love you more. Have him, open your, have him do this repentance work in your life. Listen, the third thing, though, this is the most important. True repentance it cannot even start. You can't start it. You can't begin it until you see that you're forgiven and loved and accepted right as you are. Right as you, can, you can't even start repenting. You can't start repenting unless you see that you're loved and you're forgiven as you are. Jesus on that cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, this is, this, otherwise, your repentance is manufacturing the forgiveness and the love of God. And then, then it's not expensive to Jesus at all. It's expensive to you. You're the one that's doing the work. You're the one that's repenting. And he's the one that, as a result of your repentance, is giving you this grace and this forgiveness. But when he just gives it to you, that's called grace. That's called free grace. And you can't even start turning to Jesus until you see him on that cross, giving you, accepting you, loving you, extending you grace before you've even asked for it. Judas, Iscariot, one of Jesus' followers, betrayed Jesus, sold him out. Judas and Peter both betrayed Jesus. Both, they both felt bad about it. They felt terrible about it. One had ungodly sorrow, led him straight to death, right to the gallows. One had godly sorrow. What's the difference? They both felt bad. They both betrayed Jesus. One of them saw Jesus from a boat, jumped in the water, and swam toward him because he knew Jesus had made a breakfast. Jesus had offered him love. Jesus had said on that cross, I forgive you. They don't know, he don't know what you're doing. I forgive you. He saw Jesus as accepting and loving and full of grace. He ran right toward him. Both felt bad for their sin, but one of them saw Jesus 
on that cross. You can't run to Jesus unless you see that. You can't even lift a finger. True repentance is sorrow. There is grief. There is lament. There's sadness. But it also has, ready for this? No regret. You can have sorrow in life, deep sorrow for your sin and what it costs the Lord. No regret. Why? Because you're right in his arms. You know he loves you. I mean, this is Peter, right? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, I do. Jesus says, feed my lambs. You're in. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my lambs. You're in. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my lambs. You're in. I mean, he's telling them, you're in. I love you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Keep coming. Keep coming. I forgive you. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. They're going to lead us through a song uh, after we take communion here. Um, but they're going to lead us, and I want you to do some spiritual surgery with the Lord. Let him do some work on your heart through this song. And I just want to close with a, a short analogy and a picture here, and this is probably maybe not my best illustration, but just go with it, okay? Just imagine for a second you steal a police car. Okay, just hold, hold on, hold on before, don't get carried away. And uh, you, no one knows, you steal this police car and you're using it around town and you have a long commute, but now it's cut by 90%. You just beep and you're there, you're right at work. You're going to Costco on Saturday and parking right in front of it and everyone cares. And you can just, you, it cuts your grocery time down, travel time down, you take a family trip to Florida and you're there in five hours. Okay, you're, you're loving this thing for months, but then one day, you're driving, and right behind you, you see a real police car, and the real lights come on. How do you feel in that moment? What's the emotional change, right? This is great. Oh, no. See, all of us in life, we walk through life like we're in control, like we know what's best, like we're pretty good people. You know, we're pretty easy to love. We walk through life thinking we're many gods. And one day, real God shows up. And real God walks into life. He's holy. He's righteous. He's pure. He's all, he is in control. He is powerful. And how do you feel? Exposed, right? You're exposed. And you will never run toward this God, the real God of the Bible, unless you can see the cross unless you see him, unless you see him with his arms open, unless you see him at communion, at the table, at the Last Supper, where he tells you, this is gonna be expensive. He says, this is my body, this bread. It's gonna cost me, I'm gonna be broken for you. But take it, eat it. It's for you. Get your bread ready. Let's remember that together this morning. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is expensive. This is what your sin costs. Me, Jesus, your sin costs me. This is my blood 
had, this is my blood. There was no other way. You can't be good enough. If you could be good enough, why do I need to spill this? This is my blood poured out for your sins. But take it. Take it. Let's remember that together this morning. Stand as you're able. Heavenly Father, I pray you would make this a church, a church that is safe to confess our sin. Make this a safe place for people to walk in and say, I'm a mess. I am a coward. I don't love Jesus that much, but I want to. And then, Lord, show them how expensive your forgiveness is. Make this a safe place to grieve, a safe place to feel remorse for sin. We don't, just, we don't glorify it here. We don't, we don't whitewash it or, or dismiss it. No, we grieve it. We're sad about it. We see what it did to you, how it pierced you. Lord, make this a church where it's safe to admit we're a mess and we're broken and that we grieve it. Make it a safe place to grieve it. And then, Lord, make it a safe place that people see your arms are open. They see a Jesus who loves them, who's inviting them home, who's already forgiven them. They just have to accept it. They've already been forgiven. They can come home. And they're among friends and they're among family that are only standing in your presence because of you, Jesus, and what you did. Lord, your grace is not cheap. Thank you for loving us. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.